Welcome to another episode of Just Potting Along. It is Paulie P and uh, my guest today is a man who you might know from television, you might know him from radio and you might know him from his extensive stand-up career. Uh, He's very talented and he's a multi, I'm going to say multi-award winner, he'll probably correct me, but uh, he is a very good man. It's very noble of him to take time out of his busy schedule to talk to me. Mr. Dave Thornton, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Paul. No, you're right. I'm multi-award winning. Uh, let's let's not be humble about it. Um, I, yeah, I I do remember I won a free loaf uh, of bread back in grade three. I think it was. Hello. What did you for, do for uh, that? Well, uh, to be honest, it was a recycling idea where they said, uh, uh, how do you recycle uh, plastic bags? That was a big thing in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And I said, fill car tires up with plastic bags. So, which I'll admit, I think I stole from beyond 2000. Uh, my parents forced me to watch, which they'll never know. So I got my free loaf of bread and was an award winner. So... Um, hopefully, well, hopefully they don't hear this, and I have to repay them back, and that kind of you know interest would really, really do me over. Yeah, it'd be at least five bucks by now, I would guess. Yeah, I'm not made of cash. <laughs> uh, but you did actually, uh, aside from your grade three loaf of bread, you did uh, win an award for the uh, the best host in 2009, was it for Studio A, the TV show you were working on? Are oh, you in the best host on Channel Thirty One? Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, let's let's you know, let's give it some parameters. No, let's, let's not. Let, let's just you know, if someone hasn't read your bio, let's have them think that you're you know winning logies and stuff. Oh, oh, well, there's no parameters. Yeah, I'm like some <laughs> this universe. You know, you just go, yeah, I'm the best host in the known universe, and even some places that aren't even known. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's some black holes out there that are like, wow, when we implode, can we get Thornton to host it? <laughs> yeah, he's the big cheese. That's exactly right. You're going to be like the, uh, I'm not suggesting that you're like that, but it'll be like that episode of South Park where uh, John Edwards wins the Douche of the Universe award. But you'll be best yeah. of the universe, not Douche of the Universe. I'm not suggesting that about you. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know where you've gone with that, but yeah, I uh, yeah. Well, there you go. So best host of the known universe. That's a, I'll take that. Um, yeah, I think I need to get some t-shirts printed. <laughs> you should be selling them at your live gigs. You'll make the five bucks back to pay back to those poor people at uh, you know the loaf of bread. Yeah, I'm sure using my stand-up gigs, the guys that have had a fair skinful will appreciate the modesty of me selling t-shirts, saying best host in the universe. <laughs> Really? One of the best hosts in the universe can take a fist to the face. Well, thank you, good sir. Uh, now, you did host the uh, Studio A on Channel 31. Uh, it was a sort of Tonight Show-esque uh, show. I, uh, In my research, I was actually watching clips of it uh, yep. this morning. Do you think it's sad that Australia doesn't have a Tonight Show anymore? Do you think that, yeah. that, that is actually lacking from this fair country? Because I've thought that for a long time. Yeah, I think, I mean, Rove had beautiful timing when, as much as I hate to say it, but at the time, like, hey, had Saturday dropped off and there was no live entertainment. Because, you know, they, it was um, in Melbourne tonight that was running for a while and, you know, Don Lane, and we always had something like that, some live TV. And then Rove came at just the right time and it, and it looked like it was dying and, you know, he stuck around for a good decade and now it's there's just nothing. And it's kind of... You kind of scratch your head and wonder why. You know, and there's no life. Like ABC doesn't have recovery anymore. There's no big gigs. There's no anything. There's, no, there's just no live TV, really, of that capacity. You know, where bands can get up, where stand-ups can get up, where um, people can get interviewed. It just doesn't happen. I, don't know I think we should nominate you, Dave Thornton, the best host in the known universe, uh, to, uh, to host some new format of Tonight Show in this fair country. I know. Well, you'd think that, yeah, if you were the best host of the entire universe, yeah, you'd think you'd be the front runner. But uh, I got the eerie feeling maybe Eddie McGuire or, you know, Andrew O'Keefe might be picking me at the post. But, um, but you know, even like Andrew O'Keefe, I think, is a fine example. He, I think he's a very good host. I, I mean, deal and no deal doesn't really float my boat, to be honest. Uh, standing in the middle of my lounge room making the X sign with my forearms doesn't really 
doesn't really tickle me. But um, but I think he's a really good host, and I think he could be used in better capacity. But it's the climate we're at now. It's also the fact that in this country they seem to insist on using the same people for everything. And so no one new ever really gets a chance to do that sort of stuff because it's kind of, oh, you're not Rove McManus. Nah, don't give a shit. Yeah, but then alternatively, Rove was given that. You know, he, he was given the leg up. I mean, everyone has to start from somewhere. But I, look, I also get it, Paulie. Like, producers are people who want to make money. Yeah, of course. A TV network is run by a person who wants to make money. If a commodity is known to make money, they usually repeat it. Like, they're not... People forget that with TV. You're like, they're not there for the creative endeavour. They're there to make money. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's true. You know, and, and I think... Uh, but I think now it's definitely going to be a big shift because of the internet and because audiences are starting to realise that. Like, I'm at the moment tearing through Breaking Bad which is a wonderful series but I mean I, I watch it you know when I get home from a gig I'll watch it I watch it even just then I took a bit of a break for lunch um, beyond the usual meandering I call a work day and you know I, I can watch it whenever I want at my disposal and I think we're starting to become a little bit more like that you know you can download it off the net you can uh, make podcasts like this you can get, put it on YouTube I think it's starting to shift that way I don't think the old mediums will go away but I distinctly think there's some areas there that you can focus on and make something of it. Now you, uh, I guess you're primarily known as a stand-up and I met you when you did some corporate comedy for a company I was working for in Geraldton and from what I can... Clang, Geraldton. <laughs> it, was, it was a crazy time. But from what I can gather, you essentially came, did corporate comedy there, went home and you, you have become one of the uh, brightest stars in the stand-up firmament in this fair country. And I, I don't think that that is blowing smoke up your ass. I think that you actually have gone on a trajectory from Geraldton sort of up and up, which is weird because most people that leave Geraldton tend to go down the gurgler. Yeah, I've, I've decided to tackle the universe, evidently. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, oh, a couple of us have done gigs in Geraldton. I like... Uh, I have fond memories. What was it, the third windiest city in the world, I think they said, when I was there? There's a, constant ar- there's a constant argument about whether or not it's actually the windiest city. And the funniest really? part is uh, apparently Auckland's up there and everyone always says Chicago. But what I actually learned about Chicago from my mum, who did the architectural tour, is that the term the Windy City comes from, you know, before they were the United States and all the... Um, all of the parliamentary representatives from Illinois and Chicago and that area actually used to talk up Chicago and how amazing it was. And so the wind is actually from those guys saying we're fucking good and not actually... I mean, there is, it is physically windy as well, but it, it, the term the Windy City comes from that rather than the actual physical wind. Yeah, right. Oh, well, also, let's not forget, you know, there's... Um the home of Orlando Calrissian, the cloud city in Star Wars. So that's got to be up there. We're in the clouds, for fuck's sake. That's got to be up there. I, I like that we, we, it took us eight minutes to get to a Star Wars reference. That's, uh, that's what I've discovered about most comedians now, is everyone thinks, oh, they're really funny, they're really clever, and deep down we're all just giant nerds. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think legally speaking, we have to drop a Star Wars reference into any comedy podcast. So... <laughs> Thank God. Uh, now going Thank God we've got the comedy ombudsman off our back. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, going back to the uh, the stand-up comedy, I actually tried a little bit of stand-up comedy. I did try my hand at it at one point. Right. I was terrible at it. But I, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you remember the first joke that you wrote that you thought, hey, I might actually have something here? Because I, I will share with you the first two that I remember writing after yours, which is going to be good, and then I'll look even worse. But do, do you remember that sort of experience of crafting your first joke? Uh, Paulie, I reckon there's uh, a fair few years there where I just look back and think, oh, like, it's just some terrible joke. You know, hacky, bad, um, pedestrian, shit jokes that just, at the time, like even if I'm hosting a new open mind competition and you'll see kids and I hit the same targets that I was hitting when I started and you just can't help it um, but I think the first joke that made me think oh okay I've got something I could have something here is actually 
It's actually on YouTube, and it was a joke that I did on Rove, uh, my spelling joke, where I just did a joke about the English language and how I don't understand these rules and regulations that you have to live by. And it was the first ever joke and ever bit that I really I sat and I, and I wrote and I crafted, and it took me a while to get to it. It took me uh, a few months for the joke to be complete. It took me, uh, and it was one of these jokes. I was like, wow, I didn't think I've heard anyone else do a joke like this and it was the first time I'd ever felt about a joke I'd go, oh I've written something that I don't think anyone else has found and it kind of gave me a real good buzz about it uh, but that was four or five years into my career okay you know that was it took me that long to actually write something where it's like oh yeah this is something uh, I'll stand by and I'm, I'm still pretty proud of that joke which is which is unique Some, quite often jokes you're just like oh I wish it was never Ever repeat it again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the first joke that I wrote, I uh, I was thinking about it when I was doing some sort of research for this. And I think mm. I wrote a joke about, you know, Gagne Fructus had just come out. And I was suggesting that perhaps Sunsilk should bring out a, a rival product called Fructat. So you're like, fuck this and fuck that. Hilarious, right? Ah, ah. clown words, yeah. Ah, you could have even got a... Could have got a sponsorship out of it. Wow! <laughs> I uh, I also had to spell out the joke to you, a known comedian who was just sitting there in silence, going, "I have no idea where this is going." <laughs> no, I was always, mate. And it's it's you know, by hanging out with stand-up comedians, when you say, "What do you think of this joke?" You know, your mate's not going to laugh at you because no, a, a, comedian, a comedian's not going to laugh at another comedian. A because if it's good, he's jealous, uh, and uh, he almost doesn't want comedians. Predominantly, we don't laugh at stuff. We just stare at it and we will think in our brains, yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> because we're sitting there and analysing it. So never take the fact that the comedian doesn't laugh at you as an insult. Um, it's just we're too caught up in our own little world. Do you also find it weird, though? There is, and this is what I discovered in my brief period of stand-up, all three things yeah. I've ever done. But yeah. there's a whole thing, and I, I don't, you know, mean to uh, discredit these sorts of things, but there's a whole counterintuitive thing with uh, people who are new to comedy. And if you say, this is Dave Hughes, he can get up and say, hey, blue shirt, nice blue shirt. And everyone yeah. will be like, hey, Dave Hughes, you're amazing. And But if you're, this is Paulie, this is his first time on stage, there's very much a make me laugh funny man vibe in the room. Whereas I feel it should be the other way. You know, you're known as a comedian, so audiences should be more critical, if that makes sense. But there is... There's so many different ways of looking at it. There is a freedom and anonymity. I mean, there is expectation quite often when you see a comedian. So, like, a Dave Hughes' caliber, people do turn up now, like, oh, I want to... I expect something from this guy and anything short of that is a disappointment. Um, but also that uh, when you see an experienced comedian who an audience knows, like often an unknown will get up and you have to create that rapport. You have to introduce yourself in certain aspects. You know, that's why uh, a lot of unknown comedians, you'll say, you'll say something about your physical appearance because you'll go, look, I'm aware. You know what I mean? Like early on, I'd make jokes about me being lanky, being tall, being a bit goofy, because you're like, of course, this is, um, I'm basically pointing out to you things that you've already, you've just assessed by looking at me. Let's burst that bubble and move on. It's a bit of an introduction joke. But the thing is, for guys that have done it for long enough, they've got that shorthand with an audience. You know, Arj Barker turns out and everyone goes, yeah, cool, he's a bong-smoking American flacker. I've got it. Uh, you know, same thing with Husey. He's Husey, the, the David Dole bludger. And so he's worked hard enough to deserve that shorthand with an audience. And so when people say, oh, he just gets on stage and people just laugh or whatever, yeah, well, he's also put in 20 years. So people go, oh, I know that Hughes funny and I know that when he turns up on stage, he's going to say something funny. Some people kind of say, oh, it's just his accent. Like, well, he's worked hard enough for that. It's like, you know, you go to a U2 concert, of course, he's going to be like, I'm a fan of U2. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. But if you go to, you know, a corner just to see, you know, you see a busker sitting on the corner, you're like, well, you're a busker. You want to make think, how good can you be if you're busking? What a douchebag. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just in people's brains. It's just how they work. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I'd never thought of it like that. But the point that you make is completely valid. So Yeah, I, I get it. I just think uh, when people say, oh, uh, people have said to me before, accents are funny. Like when Jamal became big, that was a big thing. It was like, oh, he's, he's got his accent. And you're like, well, whatever. I mean, he's moved across the other side of the globe. I mean, that there's a little cachet, I suppose, from anyone. I mean, if accents were so good and you're such, and if you like doing comedy, then move to the other side of the, of the um, globe and 
see your comedy goes if accents are so funny. Like, I just think, I think it's a cheap way out. I mean, I, uh, I had a podcast with Chris Rock recently who said during trial shows he'll just deliver material as is, almost to his feet, like not with no stage presence to hear if the joke works. So he's like, I'm, like he understands that he's got a stage presence, but then uh, he needs to know if the actual joke has got merit and people aren't just kind of being entertained by his presence, by him being on stage. He needs to know that the joke works. And I think with a lot of those guys, they've still got jokes behind it. Like you don't stay this far in the game without having jokes behind it. No, of course. But I, I heard the story of someone, I can't remember who it was, maybe when I was in New York last year and someone was saying that they went to a club where Chris Rock was just trialling material. You know, he just rocked up and did 10 minutes. You know, no one knew he was yeah. coming. And that... 50% of his act bombed and they were saying it was really weird you know because this is Chris Rock who everyone knows and everyone really likes and he's like you know for me getting into comedy Chris Rock was a massive influence and he was like it was weird to see him bomb because you don't sort of yeah I, I guess it's you know you you watch in a similar kind of way you know the the one and I'd love a cheap dig but you watch Ricky Ponting recently and he's been scoring nothing you know and it's the same thing if you're a young cricketer you're like here's this guy that I look up to and everyone thinks is very good and he goes through this period and that's kind of strange it's it's weird to think of those people as human as well you know things especially with comedy like I'm going it now I'm working up my uh, material for Melbourne Comedy Festival for Adelaide Fringe Festival for Brisbane Comedy Festival and you have to die stuff has to happen um, material is not no comedian will get 100% success rate in, in their material at any time in their career like it's just a stand up comedy you know there's not we can be in conversations and we can make each other laugh and do whatever but it's a single person standing in front of an audience and holding their attention of an extreme emotion like we expect an extreme emotion out of someone for 20 minutes, for half an hour, for an hour. Like, imagine if you said, oh, I'm going to make you cry for an hour. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, like, admit, no. admittedly, laughter is something you willingly want to go along with. But if you have to make someone cry, like, that's torture. That's what that is. That is finding some kind of electrodes, finding some kind of sharp wire, and, you know, and, and completely prodding this person so that they're constantly thinking about death. That will keep them crying for an hour. But all we have is words. All we have is words is to make someone laugh for an hour. And, and that's very hard. And then you have to, it has, uh, it's just trial and error. That's all it is. I mean, yeah, your nose will get better for it as you go along, but you've still got bits. Like I had a trial show only last week it was half an hour of material to try out and I reckon I salvaged 10 minutes out of it 12 minutes yeah okay but I've seen I've done trial shows with you you've done exactly the same thing you know, just turn that you just know that you have to go through this period of finding if jokes are good or not like and strong enough to just be on stage on their own like I said sometimes on panel shows on radio shows you do little off-handed jokes and it's like ah we all kind of laugh at it but not enough for an audience to be like I paid money I'm sitting here I'm giving you unmost attention and that's what you give me like to, to find out it's got to be like you know bulletproof it's got to be awesome you just got to test it out boy do you also think though that uh, it is getting harder to be a stand-up in the sense of I remember hearing someone, I can't remember who it was, it was a comedian saying, oh, I wrote this bit, you know, and everyone was like, oh, you've just taken this bit from someone else. And I'm like, I've never heard of that guy. And so there is only a finite number of ideas in the world and eventually people are going to come to similar entertaining conclusions about stuff. And so it's it's hard to, I guess it's like being a filmmaker, you know, it's it's hard to be truly original. Then, yeah, exactly. Um, but that is the challenge we have. Like, I kind of like in stand-up that we uh, we have to be original. We can't play cover songs. Like, you know, I've got muso mates who are really good musicians in their own right, but to pay their bills, they'll often just do a night somewhere at a shitty pub and play off some cover tunes. And, but, and they'll get paid handsomely for it. They'll get like $500 of to play some cover tunes for a couple of hours and be like, sweet. Uh, and I don't begrudge them for that. I mean, some of them got families and things. I get that. But with us, it's almost like, like our covers are hacks, jokes. You know, you make a joke about some bad suburb in your city or something and some hack joke. It'll, it'll, it'll get you paid. You'll probably get laughs from audiences. But all that is, 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 is that's just comfort food. That's what that is. You know, it's, 
in Melbourne saying, oh, you're from Frankston, oh, what a shithole. And that gets a laugh because because it's a bad cliche and like it's, it's comfort food. Everyone, everyone's in their comfort area going, oh, I've heard that through cliches that Frankston's a shithole. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so that's as hack as you can get. But then also because the internet and everyone's going around, you also, you, there's so much more information going on. Like I, I know the inner financial situations of Greeks. You know, I know, you know, uh, I've got different philosophical ideas I can look up on the internet I've got so much more information that I should dig a little harder yeah you know uh, I get what you mean you come to especially topical issues I mean on Twitter it's almost you you don't appreciate the um, accuracy it's more the speed you know people if you can get a Kim Kardashian joke off in no time and be the first to hit it it's almost applaudable as opposed to you know how clever it is <laughs> how clever are you you made a joke about Kim Kardashian yeah <laughs> Yeah, I- you know what I mean. And I've, I've been in those situations before as well. I've hit same targets that other guys have, and I've been exactly the same thing. Where someone's going, "You realise that so and so's joke or whatever," and you're like, "No, I had no idea." And guys sometimes look at you dubiously, like, uh, "Did you or did you not?" And like, you can only, you know, I suppose that's up for them to judge. But the only thing that makes me realise was like, "Wow, I shouldn't be hitting these targets that other people are hitting." Like, I need to find something more original. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you've done. Uh, let's. You've done quite a bit of radio stuff. Uh, probably most famously, you hosted the Summer Breakfast Show on uh, the Nova Network with uh, Dylan Lewis and Sophie Monk. Yeah. How was that? I mean, Dylan Lewis... Uh, did, did you blame Dylan Lewis for the success of Kyle Sanderlands? <laughs> he, he has to be partly to be blamed for that. Dylan, Dylan really gets on with Kyle. Like, he'd always say to me, too, he'd be like, man, I, uh, he said he unashamedly likes a car. Um, but um, Dylan is a lovely human being. Like, uh, and I'm not saying this because this is recorded and it could come back to haunt me. But, um, he's a very, uh, I think to his own admission, he's very left of centre. He's, uh, he's unusual and not in that sense not in a negative sense. He's just, he's a muso, he's a, he's a smart guy. He's, he's a really cool guy. Uh, we get along really well. Um, and Sophie was actually a real interesting one to be with um, because I got with radio. She was so good because she would just throw, there's very little time between her brain and her mouth opening. It's like, as in, she would just go, bang, and spit it out. And sometimes you're like, what? And I haven't said it to mates. I said it made me look good because she would just like almost invent setups that you could never think of. You know, like she would just say things that you're like, and I was easy enough to think of something funny. And everyone goes, that was really funny. And I'm like, no, what she said was really unusual. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And you can't teach that. That's just something that someone obviously has. That's what she is, yeah. And um, she's not shy and she's... um, She's not an idiot either. I think uh, I think that's how people misconstrue it. Um, she just knows what to play. But I also you know, like, like I the think... idea that you know people who come from uh, sort of obscure starts and use these things as a as a leaping ground to something better. You know the sort of you know Bardo was alright, but you know it, it, it's interesting to see that kind of progression. Absolutely, man. I was. You never know. You never know. Like, I was feeling pretty hungover the other night, and I found myself in situations that there's a DVD store around the corner from me that has this amazing back catalogue. But I've learned if I'm feeling pretty fragile, I can't get DVDs to push me too far. I can't get, like, rec room for a dream or something because it will break me. <laughs> You'll I become mean, a heroin addict. I understand. Ex- exactly. Like, my, my moral fiber just rips apart. Like, I'm already feeling fragile. And then, uh, like, I saw this movie Hunger last time I was hung over, which is based 1981 uh, with the Northern Irish um, uh, political prisoners fighting the English and they were getting incarcerated and they would smear their own feces on the walls to get against the guards. It was, it was such a full movie. I was like, I'm about to cry. And uh, so the last time I got Remember the Titans, if you remember that. Yes. It's an American football movie with Denzel Washington. It's made by Walt Disney. It's pretty saccharine, but I needed a clear and defined victory. But I was watching this and I realised one of the kids was Ryan Gosling, which I never knew, who's now every woman's dream and, you know, and secretly every man's jealousy. And, um, and it was like, you never know the trajectory. I thought, sort of, I'm like, oh my God, it's Ryan Gosling. Have a look at that. He's like 14. And like, it's one of those things with people who suppose that you get notoriety with whatever. You never know the trajectory. Like, you would have seen Sophie Monk and just being like, 
you know, ah, it's a blonde girl from Bardo. <laughs> you wouldn't have picked that she was the one that possibly to go on with it. Like, yeah, but I guess that's it's the same thing with Robbie Williams, you know, when he was in Take That. No one ever thought anything of it. I mean, he was the bad boy of Take That, so people vaguely knew him. But, yeah, no one would have expected Robbie Williams to become Robbie Williams. Absolutely. And it's such a weird entity. Like, I've had people come up to me and I'll turn around a bit. And sometimes it's just lovely. People go, can I get a photo? Or can I get something, you know, uh, even... Someone say, can we sign a T-shirt? Someone will go on to a group of stand-ups and none of us are really known. And then people go, can you sign my T-shirt? And you're like, are you sure? And you kind of look at them like, what's the point? And they go, well, in case you get famous. <laughs> and it's almost like, right, right. <laughs> so in case more people know about me than have before, it's got nothing to do with, hey, you just enjoyed this show. It's if other people can actually concur on the fact that they know who I am, you'll be happy. And can you sign it to eBay, please? <laughs> yeah. It's such a weird idea. It's not like I enjoy this so much, so I just want to keep this just to remember, you know, because I enjoyed the night. It was, no, I just, in case other people start to recognise you more. Uh, <laughs> okay? I just don't understand that. But you never know, you know. And I guess that's it, you know, people. And I, I, I mean, I remember, one of the interesting things I remember seeing was actually, when Rove first became big on Channel 10, when he started that series after the famous ill-fated Channel 9 series, and I saw him on the panel one night, and they were like, oh, you know, you're a bit of an overnight success. And he said, yeah, I'm an overnight success that's been working at it for 15 years. And I, I think that's the other thing that people sort of, you know, you're out there in the clubs and people don't really, you know, pay attention to you or whatever. And so no one really thinks much of it. And then the next thing, you know, you're Dave Thornton, greatest host in the known universe. And everyone's like, ah, oh, where did he come from? And yeah, a, a lot of people don't think about the, the background of it and how you actually got there and the, the work it takes to get there. Yeah, like I'll always say that it's, if someone is hanging around for a while, they've got the skills then. Like I think I think fame is first oh, that tipping point is luck for everyone involved. Like don't get me wrong, a lot of people knock on that door for long enough that by the time it opens, you know, you can understand that. But, you know, uh, last week I even hosted this Michelle Bridges from The Biggest Loser who had met a couple of months ago. She wanted me to host this 12-week body transformation thing where all around the country people, predominantly women, go on three months, you know, get this transformation. So there's this final where they're all there. And, and Michelle's an interesting case study where you assume with reality TV it's just an overnight success. Like yeah. you just have an assumption with everyone. You're just like, oh, well, you got in the tally once. You're still on there. You know, th that was when you broke. But then I, I talked to her when I first met her a few months ago. I was just talking to her. She's been at it for like, well, at like particularly doing this for 10 years. And then before that, she's been a personal trainer and whatnot for 20 years and a body sculptor and whatnot. And then she approached Carrie Ann to go on that show to show a little couple of exercises to her audience and just saw that TV was an outlet to actually, because of the obesity epidemic to start getting people involved and all this kind of jargon but it's interesting people's perception like that is just oh she just came she got on The Biggest Loser and we're done but all they didn't know is the casting took six months I think and they wow. had to do psychological assessments they had to do uh, she told me all of this and I was like Jesus like <laughs> there's a reason people might see it as reality TV but they're just like oh it's just open up but I'm like no there's a reason she's there like yeah. she's still there yeah yeah, yeah of course so hosting that, did you uh, did you see some of Australia's fattest fatties? Well, no, because they they were a little bit worried. It was funny they talked to me before and they said, "Now, can you not make jokes?" I said, "No, I'm a human with empathy. I understand that. I'm not going to get up and be like, well, what's going on, Bingo Wings? Have a look at you, Tubby.' So I completely understood that. Um, although I did find out collectively they uh, they lost forty metric ton. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's so, how many people are we talking about? I'm not sure how many people were totally involved. Like maybe, maybe, oh, I'm just trying to think. Could be in the thousands, maybe. Uh, like, you know, maybe a thousand, two thousand people. I don't know. But it's a lot of weight. Like, this keeps going, mate. Don't worry about rising sea levels. <laughs> the continent is getting lighter. So, 
a couple more lunges, we'll be fine. <laughs> That's exactly right. So uh, I always think, though, I have this thing that I've thought for a long time. Whenever I hear a story of someone healthy, you know, like such and such, died running on the treadmill like they did every day for the last 15 years or whatever, I'm always like... If healthy people are going to drop off exercising, I'm just going to eat KFC three meals a day and I'll go out swinging. Oh, I see you're going to go down with it. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, if I'm going to go down anyway, why not just do it doing something I enjoy? Like, I mean, I don't enjoy KFC that much, but, you know, the point is the same. Yeah, yeah. You just think, well, you know what? I'm going to go the complete opposite. You guys stress about losing pounds is not ever going to be an issue for me. You're just going to be one smile, one massive tooth smile in 180 kilograms of sheer lard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like I a mean, smiling, a smiling beach ball surrounded by empty buckets of gases. <laughs> it worked for Chris Farley, didn't it? You know, like. Yeah, it, it's, it's worked for some but yeah <laughs> yeah exactly guys the only money I'm saving is for a forklift when I park <laughs> it and you have to get me out of this place <laughs> when you have to take the roof off my house and crane me out that's uh, yeah. yeah I'll be washing and when, yeah when the super pit in Kalgoorlie is now a place of respect because that's the only hole they could drop me in <laughs> That's when I know I've won. You know what's funny, though? It's last night I was watching The Simpsons, which I want to do quite often. And I watched that episode uh, where Homer has to get to 300 pounds before he can stay at home from work. And I was like, I'm just going to do a calculation of that. You know, 300 pounds is only like 130 kilos, which is big. You know, you're a big boy at 130 kilos, but it's not cripplingly large anymore. It's sort of because so many people are so obese, 130 kilos is not enormous. You know, it's kind of funny that they have this benchmark that over time has shifted and isn't actually that amazing at all. Oh, yeah. A lot of these things happen now. It's so things change exponentially so far. Paulie, I agree with you. Like, um, you know, was it earlier this year? Remember the woman who was caught uh, in the court case against the CEO of David Jones? Yes. Her name escapes me, but uh, she came out of the back end. It would be libelous otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My lawyer's looking at me this point, I'm shaking his head. So, yeah, maybe I should move on from that. But um, I I remember she came out of the back end with with a fair amount of money. I think it was like $750,000, something like that. Yeah, that was about right. And I remember talking to some uh, some girls, some friends of mine, I'm like, fuck, $750,000. And as a comic always says, like, man, you can touch any of my bits. It's for three quarters of a million. Like... (laughs) I think if I could do stuff, I'd never, I'd never be able to look at my mother again. But, like, you know, I've got three quarters of a million. And the girls kind of went, eh, nah. I was like, what do you mean? Like, to me, you know, I don't, I don't need too much. Buy a house with half a mil, buy a car with 50 grand, you got some left over, I'm happy. Um, but they were like, nah, I don't know. I don't need over a million. And it's like this perspective thing of, like, who needs of it? Like, you get you've been given money. I get what she's gone through, but you know it's a similar kind of thing. We're like Jesus. Where are we at now? Where um, a million bucks is all I can be given. Anything under that, some with my time. <laughs> like, uh, I would uh, I, I would be touched inappropriately for free by any woman, given how long my dry spell's been. <laughs> It's not even going to be a lawsuit. I'm just like, come on, here I am standing here, your legs are kimbo, you know. But Forget your lawsuit, yeah, we got the baby suit. Just, I've got my birthday suit right here, just work it out. No one seems to want in on that, and I can't really blame them. I am a, an only average specimen of human being. <laughs> Mate, don't sell yourself, all right? You could be the second best host in the known universe. <laughs> I will fight you. I will fight you in a duel, Thornton. We'll we'll go jousting one Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. Just a host off. This is going to be awesome, man. It's going to be like Highlander. There can be only one. uh, You and I will make sure it's a fight to the death to see who can host the Logies. (laughs) And then when I win, people will be like, why were those two chosen to fight each other? One of them is clearly shit. No matter what comes out of it, there's still going to be enough people in front of us that they'll be like, well, you know, Bert Newton is a much better host than both of you combined. Oh, oh, yes. Very good. Oh, well, that that seems to make sense. I guess this was all a waste of time, and now we're one person lighter in the world. That's sad but true. (laughs) Yeah. 
Take that, Michelle Bridges. We just lost 85 kilograms in a moment. But you, but you but people can't top that. Uh, yeah. Can you at least get KFC to uh, make a giant bucket to bury me in? <laughs> it, it, it's my dying wish. <laughs> As I've always wanted. Uh, I am the 11th secret herb and spice. <laughs> my uncle is convinced that the first nine secret herbs and spices are salt. <laughs> really? But it's just the other two. Yeah, so one of them's got to be pepper, and I'm pretty sure the last one's MSG. <laughs> but the other two, it's like, all right, uh, the ring from Middle Earth, and it's also uh, fairy dust. So that's the hardest part. <laughs> I um a few years back at McDonald's, they were like, uh, this is probably going to also be libelous, but I'm okay with that. Uh, they had that whole campaign about you know the McDonald's chicken nuggets now 100% breast fillet meat, and you're yeah. like, wow, it was cardboard before. <laughs> <laughs> Turns yeah, out my suspicion was not incorrect, and now they've come good on giving us actual chicken. Yeah, yeah isn't it? That's being in a relationship, and the girl is going, all oh, right, 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 right. I'm only sleeping with you now, okay? <laughs> so you should be thankful about that. <laughs> it's just you and me now, big guy. You know that, don't you? That's my promise from now on, right? <laughs> it's... Look, don't, don't, don't listen to what your brother had to say that was last year, okay? <laughs> That was only once, and I was a bit drunk, and, you know, things happened. I went into the wrong room. I thought it was you. You're kind of similar, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't, like, friend, best friend, whatever, okay? Let's just not get into it. It's all semantics anyway, isn't it? Isn't that what we've come to realise? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, 100%, 100% real breast fillet meat. Yeah, I've noticed they're swimming in a bit of that and the salads and whatnot. Who cares? It's just it's not what you want from McDonald's, goddammit. I, I went into a McDonald's the other day and have, the other thing they've done is they now tell you, you know, how many kilojoules in every burger. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to know that. I don't want to stand there going, what's the healthiest choice? I just, I want to be blissfully unaware of it all. I mean, they're probably backing also the fact that once you start eating it too and you might get that blurred vision from the amount of fat that's now churning through all your arteries, you can't even decipher any of those numbers. It's just, it's kind of like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. It's just these numbers scattering around your brain. What's going on? <laughs> I, uh, I watched that uh, Super Size Me, the Morgan Spurlock one. I don't know yep. if I'm the only person in the world that this happened to, but I got to the end and I was like, man, I'd kill for a Big Mac about now. No, I was a bit the same, to be honest. And the thing that was a bad argument for him was maybe there was a guy, look, he's in, you know, Buttfuck in middle America, but he <laughs> ate, I think it was two or three Big Macs a day. And the guy was felt. He had a ponytail. And it was like, <laughs> he didn't at all look unhealthy. To be honest, the guy looked extremely happy. And it was just counterproductive what he was trying to say. I'm like, well, that guy's fine. Like, can't chemists just find his metabolism injected into me? I can just eat what I want. Like, aren't there ways around this? Look what a man on the moon got, damn it. Like, ways that this can happen. Come on, science. Lift your game. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, wow, wow. Look, there's been certain diseases you haven't seen to have conquered. Just let it go, you know? So I think you can make a difference with this. Cancer? No, I'm happy to get that one. Just make it so I can eat all the McDonald's I want. <laughs> yeah, just tackle some new issues. You seem to be hitting the same nail every time and not getting a result, you know? <laughs> you, wa you, wasted all common... yeah. you wasted all that time on the seedless watermelon. <laughs> yeah, for God's sake, man. Just make it so that we can eat what we want and not be fat. Sort it out. But, you know, I, I, I mean... I guess South Park tackled that the best, you know, when they did that episode about Jared Fogle. You know, the Subway guy, have you seen that one? And he gets up and he's like, oh, yeah, sure, I ate Subway, but the real reason that I lost all that weight was I got AIDS. And then, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, it, it's that whole thing of, yeah, he had a dietitian, he had a, you know, he had a nutritionalist, he had a personal trainer. It wasn't actually just the Subway at all. It's kind of... People have these totally. conceptions about what you can do if you, yeah, oh, look, he ate Subway for six months and, you know, insists on wearing those oversized pants now to show us how much weight he's lost. But 
Yeah, it, it's kind of funny, those things, isn't it? Oh, totally, boy. When I was, I went, I think a month ago, I went to LA, uh, Clang, and I was uh, over there just, just doing some gigs and things. But I realized, like, the amount of consumption that the Americans have is just off the hook. Like, but even for good things, like I remember like a punnet of blueberries here in Australia, it's what, you know, the tray is three centimetres deep, you know, like it's not very, but you're like, yeah, but you know, they're super fruits and you get there and it's just like, you know, they've got a KFC box of blueberries. Like, who the hell can eat that many blueberries? Like, they just, it's just so much. If I'm trying to tell waiters, I don't want fries for breakfast. Like on the side of my eggs, no, why wouldn't you? I mean, because I don't want to die today. And I just couldn't understand. Like, they just like, well, we'll just put it on there. I'm like, well, just don't put it on there. Like, you know, it's a, that's the culture they live in. But the funny thing in America is I found, because I spent a month with my brother in LA last year, and I found, mm. you know, like, the the kind of divide you know the skinny people and the healthy people are quite healthy and then you have these people that are so big they have to get around on a gopher you know because they're they're too fat to walk but the people that are like that you essentially called the fat people in Australia there's not as many of those it's sort of it's one or the other there's no sort of middle ground in America I mean there is obviously but it's a lot less that kind of middle ground of people who are a bit obese or a bit fat but yeah you're either skinny or you're morbidly obese was what I found yeah especially in LA it was like yeah like I I laughed at one stage it was just so LA like you know those sneakers that hang up power lines which people keep the only consistent I've ever heard I've heard a multitude of reasons was that uh, there's a drug dealer's house okay. uh, supposedly that's where you see sneakers over power lines I don't know if that's right or not but um, in LA I just saw a pair of red stiletto sequined heels just hanging over power lines in Hollywood and I was like wow welcome to LA look at that like even even the drug dealers have pizzazz like <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's all in Hollywood. You're right. It's like either just you know morbidly shit, obese, fat people, or these people who are so plastic and so done up and so Hollywood that uh, you can't even look. Or you you do want to look at them because it looks like Madame Two Swords. <laughs> I um I saw a like person who was enormous on a gopher at Universal Studios. I was like, what are you going to do at Universal Studios? Like everything requires you to sit in a regular size seat. Is it gopher? Is, is that like a segue? What's no, a gopher? No, the gopher's like the, the old people scooter ones that you see. I uh, yeah, I know those ones. I kind of look forward to the time when I can get one of those. <laughs> I kind of like it. They have to pick up some speed. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you've got two and a half grand speed, you can probably buy one now if you want. I mean, you'd look, yeah, like, a, you'd look like a dick rocking around Melbourne at age whatever, 34 or... I don't know how old you are. Haven't done my research on that, but uh, yeah, well, well, yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. Sorry. <laughs> I feel well. We'll say twenty-eight. That's very nice. If you can split the difference, it'd probably be about right. But I, uh, I reckon they're like blind dodging cars. If you see old people on those, they take your ankles out. Like, <laughs> they can really screw you over. I, mean, I wouldn't mind having some of those. Maybe I can try and make it cool. Like Vestas came in. That's so, true. Maybe I can just get some of those. Maybe at the very least, it looks like I have some kind of terminal illness and maybe I'll get pity off women. <laughs> maybe that's what I need to do. Nothing else is working. Yeah. Even the even the threat of no like lawsuit hasn't seemed to work for me to this point. So uh, yeah, I got I got to start trying something else. Yeah, well, maybe, man. You can just have one of those, you know, like every day is a bonus kind of thing. You have that kind of look on your face. <laughs> Just go along in the scooter and dearly hope, you know. Well, just to be with a gorgeous woman would be my last wish. <laughs> no one's buying it. Then she sees you six months later and like, oh, you told me. And I'm like, yeah, it was a miracle cure. <laughs> exactly. I was trying to get scientists to make me not fat while I ate KFC, but inadvertently they healed me. So here we are. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a magical world? That would be a magical world, Dave Thornton. 
Paulie, what do you mean a magical world? A magical world where men lie to get laid? That is the world, my friend. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know, them curing some unknown disease while they tried to make me thin while I ate KFC three meals a day. <laughs> Man, we, we put a lot of question marks out here into the world, which I think are valid too. If there's ever some scientists that CSIRO at this point in time bought off their nut listening to a podcast, at least we started to raise some things and they didn't pull their finger out about Hey, um, let's get into uh, something else. Let's move on from that. You, uh, you host the comedy podcast Slap Bang Radio, and I had yeah. to listen to it today. I only discovered it in my research. For shame, mm. I'm a bad person. It's uh, it's bloody good, mate. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just saw Tommy just just then, just saw him just before I started yapping you. He, um, and he's kind of what I talked about. The, the same thing of. Um, you know, we live in a world now where you can just create it, like you're creating this, and just put it out into the world. And the cool thing is, you know, even for TV, people say, oh, look, ratings say got a million viewers. But you're like, yeah, but how many of those are, like, how many people just have the TV on? You know what I mean? Like, it's such a, it's become a very passive way to be entertained because it's just there. Sure. But it's like with a podcast, say if you've got a few thousand downloads, but those people have gone out, found it, taken it, they want to listen to you. So it's like, you know, these people that are hunting you out, like on YouTube when they've got this many hits, so there's people that have hunted it out, you know. Um, so, so I think in that capacity, it's kind of cool. I mean, the, the funny thing about doing a podcast like this is that, you know, there are good ones and there are bad ones. It's like anything, it's like TV. But I feel like, if you are a phenomenon on YouTube, for the most part, mm. people will have one amazing video that does extremely well, and they're nothing. You know, the, the Lonely Island are the big exception to that rule, and they've proven that actually talented people can keep doing cool stuff. But if you produce a podcast once a week, once a fortnight, whatever it is, you are forced to keep pumping it out. You know, there, there's very few one-off podcasts that everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. I wish they'd do more. And I, I think it's, in, in that sense, uh, to me, it's a much more interesting medium. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also because it's not uh, affected as well by advertising stuff. Advertising has become much more, it, it, it's clever now. You know, and we've become clever with it. But it's like with podcasts, it's, it, you know, you can hear a sponsor maybe at the start or at the end, or I suppose you can listen to this and think that we might have been sponsored by KFC and McDonald's the amount of times we referenced it, or Star Wars, that matter. But um, if only, but it's, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, actually, that would be an awesome sponsorship deal. Um, but uh, but you know, at least you know it's just. What, whatever the podcast is, like it's, it's you and me speaking shit. It's, uh, you know, someone making a podcast about how to better your garden. Whatever it is, it, it, it's there for that purpose. You know, it, it's not trying to sell you a Hilux. Are you trying to sell a Hilux? Is that what you're getting at? Have you just signed a deal with Toyota? They're very comfortable cars and fuel efficient. Oh, Actually, oh. speaking of that, I, uh, I watched... I've been watching the new season of Top Chef, the American reality cooking show, which I quite enjoy. Right. And right. the sponsorship in that is so unbelievably blatant. So they had to drive, they're in Texas, and they had to drive from Dallas to, I don't know, somewhere else. Boston or yeah. whatever, and they're like, "Oh, you'll you'll be going in your your Toyota Sienna, right?" So, yeah. okay, that's the first blatant sponsorship. And then they get into the car. One of the guys is sitting in the back, and he's like, "Man, it's roomy back here." And the other guy's like, "Is that a built-in GPS?" <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't even trying anymore. And I, I mean, I assume one of those guys punched himself in the nuts afterwards. He's like, I hate myself and I've sold my soul to the devil. But it was just the most blatant advertising I've ever seen in a program like that. But don't you reckon now, Paulie, like our generation, it's funny when people say Salad or something like that. And we're so used now to cross advertising or whatever kind of strange homogenized cross pollinization that's going on. It's not even like the Rolling Stones sold an iPod. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're now in a world where it's just like, oh, of course. You don't even. Yeah, I don't know. The integrity's blurred now. It's almost like people think, ah, well, I want to get me a free Jeep. You know? <laughs> it's, 
it's, it's like I, I completely agree with you I'm not saying I'm not refuting that point I think at times you're just like oh sweet Jesus people just will sell anything I mean those guys at MasterChef as soon as they've been on the tally it's just been like what won't I sell you know <laughs> My favourite thing about MasterChef was I watched the new season of Junior MasterChef and right. they had that girl, Sienna, from the first season, who did quite well. She wasn't the winner, but she did quite well. And then okay. it was like, cook a, cook a dish using lamb and send it in and you could win something. But this was like this whole thing and it was sponsored by the Nissan X Trail. And you're like, this girl's 10. She's not driving for another six or seven years. It seems a weird sponsor to give a 10-year-old. Oh, man, there's constant that kind of stuff. I still chuckle to myself with the Alfred Hospital uh, in Melbourne. That's the major hospital here that's only a few blocks away from me. The emergency ward is sponsored by Tattersalls. <laughs> like, to me, gambling is not something you want to be referenced when your life is holding on by a thread. <laughs> like, hey, can you give me better odds than possibly a scratchy? Is that fine <laughs> when you've got the defibrillator out? Like... You know, things like that. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean. But, there's, dude, there's some marketer that's thinking, this is appropriate. <laughs> People buy nuisance patrols if, you know, a 10-year-old talks about them. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. And I mean, you can barely watch football these days when you've always got the commentators telling you what kind of scoreboard it is and what wing they're on when they've got, you know, whatever sponsor just emboldened across the field and oh it's just it's ridiculous well there was actually a very funny thing that I read in my leaving school drama exam and mm. the script that they had as your you know you have to read this script and assess it and work out what they're trying to do was this script yep. from the the Sydney Olympics uh, it was the yep. year after it was 2001 and it was this script from the Sydney Olympics and I just have this clear memory of you know go and see the Visa sunset and the, the Pepsi sunrise and th that's it they were saying eventually everything will be sponsored you know someone will pay for the rights and you can't just say it without having to reference whatever it is the company is that has to sponsor it yeah, I love that. It's just a little side bit on the Simpsons episode where they go into the future and Troy McClure is this teacher who's just on a television. Like, he's obviously, they just play this across so many states across America. That's how they teach now in the future. And there's all these children squashed into a, um, into a classroom. And he said, if I had four Pepsis and my friend took one Pepsi from me, how many Pepsis would I have left? And this kid in the class just goes, I'd be less refreshed. And he goes, partial credit. <laughs> and it's like, that's exactly what it's going to be like, you know? Like, I mean, in the Asian countries, there's a lot of that anyway, in Korea and in, in Japan and whatnot. That happens anyway. So it's just the way of the world, man. It's a sad, sad indictment on the world in which we live that everything has to be sponsored. But since everyone wants to make money, like it's the ultimate flaw, you know, in capitalism, where it's like, as much as much as you want to be have morals against it, you're looking at your mate who's made money out of it, and you're like, yeah, I want some of that. <laughs> you know, I want in. I'll sell anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's kind of like Oscar Wilde said, you know, it's not good enough for you to succeed; your friend has to fail as well. Uh, like you know, you want to get sponsored to say to your mate, "Yeah, check it out. I got a new fridge. What do you got? <laughs> Nothing." <laughs> no, that's exactly right. It is a it is a weird world in which we live. Who would you Who would you want to sponsor you, Dave? You got one sponsor for the rest of your life. Who do you want? Oh wow! Okay, one sponsor. Let's, go, right. let's um, get tough. I got to think about this too. Now it's got to be now. Does that be a product, or it could be because I mean I am the host of the universe. You know, this one product is going to be hard. It's going to be hard, isn't it? You know, like one that's consistently kept going. Um, wow. Uh, is it is it cool? Is it cool if I can take Apple? Like it is the biggest country in the world, uh, the biggest company in the world, and Steve Jobs is quite famous. Uh, he's gone, and uh, maybe I can be that guy. Bless his soul. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I haven't even, I haven't even gone. Like uh, I've gone for the whole hog. I've gone for the big pig, to be honest. I'd go IKEA. I'm an IKEA man. You would, would you? I'm, I'll furnish everyone's house, mate. You need a bed? Sure, I'll hook you up. You will <laughs> have to. You probably have to change your name to Alan Key. That would actually have to be now. <laughs> Your actual name. It's the only way to get sponsorship, I think. From my care. 
there has to be a man that has that name, and hopefully he's tried to pitch that to Ikea. Wouldn't that be funny? He walks in, and he's like, I'm Alan Key. Where's my fucking sponsorship? <laughs> where, at the very least, where's my cheap table? Give me something, you crazy sweets. <laughs> where's my DVD shelf? Exactly. <laughs> you know what they probably would have done? They go, that's really interesting. And to get out of paying him, they would have just dropped him in the middle of an Ikea concert store and said, if you can find your way out... <laughs> It's all yours. He's probably been in there for 10 years or some shit. But he's still trying to get get out and he's just hypnotised by the bag of small candles you can get 50 cents. He's like, how the hell do they do that? He's eating some delicious meatballs, yeah. <laughs> That's all he's living off, exactly. <laughs> meatballs and vague conversations with confused couples. That's how he keeps himself going. Uh, and that delicious princess cake they have there. That's actually not bad. I... Now that I think about it, that's a pretty good sponsorship deal. And there's a lot of things that aren't bad about it, okay? Like, you hate to admit it, and it's a part of some of people's jokes. When you say, you go, yeah, well, this makes sense. Like, <laughs> you I, know? I was in England with a friend of mine one day, actually with a few friends of ours who are, you know, quite a bit older than me, family friends, and I'm, you know, I was the sort of kid with the three adults. It was, only, yeah. it was only about two years ago. I was about 25, but, you know, I was still a kid with the adults. And one of them was saying to me, I reckon that they have people in the roof just watching people. And they're like, hey, you, in the blue jumper, you know what you need? A new sofa. And you're like, yeah, I do need a new sofa. And he's like, I find you always buy a whole stack of stuff you never needed and will never use at Ikea as well. Absolutely, because it's so cheap and it's just so ridiculous. I, I always laugh if you remember the old Warner Brothers cartoon of a guy that's on a freeway and he keeps getting lost. And he talks to the, this guy who's just set up a stall and he's like, man, I need to get to wherever he needs to go. And the guy keeps giving him a dress, yep, left, right, uh, and left again, follow it through, you can't miss it. And this guy winds down the freeway and finds himself back at the stall and the guy gives him more directions and he still can't get a barbara. And then by the end, he, he says to the guy in the store, I can't get my way out of here. And the guy goes, me neither. That's why I set up this store. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you feel like with Ikea, it's the same thing. It's like you're in there, like you're buying, you're looking, you're finding all this stuff. And then just you can't get your own way out. That you just think, I'll probably just end up working here. I'll probably just be here. And be telling people, how good is it? Because I've been surrounded by this place for years now. And uh, I'm gobsmacked by how cheap they make. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've come out of there with about five ice cube trays. I, mean, I don't even use ice cubes. <laughs> Man, I used, to, I used to live a block away from it, the one in Melbourne. And I used to go on my own if I needed to pick up like a deck chair or something for, for a party. And I would go on my own on like a Wednesday afternoon. Like, a lot, like this is... This is the opposite uh, of peak hour, you know, and, and even I'd find myself, like, I'm not even with anyone, I was, I was just in to get my shit and I'll walk out with stuff. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I remember one time going to the one in Bristol in England, which is a huge one, and they opened at, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning or whatever, and I rocked up with this friend of mine, he's like, oh, I need to get a chest of drawers, so we'll go early, we'll go when it opens, and, you know, then we'll we'll get there. And we rocked up at about three minutes past nine, and the car park was absolutely full. Jeez. Like, how, how, how do you have that business? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It is just, it is just like a you know, um, a Chinese finger trap. It's it's just a Swedish flat pack trap. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that guy was at one point the richest man in the world when the US dollar went down a bit. He was the richest man. Yeah, I did hear that. Mister Okay was the richest man in the world. It's it's Um, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I don't even know how much. Look at us. We just talked about selling out. We deserve a sponsorship from these people. We've basically sold their wares for the last five minutes. You know what's great? IKEA. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And these tough financial times, and I need to furnish my house. IKEA. I never think is well, you don't expect shit from IKEA. Like, if I get a table that breaks after six months from IKEA, I'm like, uh, yeah, it cost me 40 bucks. <laughs> like, I'll just know, buy another ultimate. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the ultimate is just disposal lifestyle. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a relationship that you never put anything into anyway. <laughs> you know. 
Well, it's, it's meeting meeting a girl at a bar who was okay and just went home with you straight away, and you're like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I've never had that happen. I, I can I can only imagine. Oh, come on, boy. Don't sell yourself short, mate. Come no, no. I figure if I talk myself down, when a girl eventually agrees to whatever, then because I've given them such low expectations, they can only be amazed by me. It's all part Man, of... Man, that's... It's, it's ta- a good salesman technique. I'm it's, to sell over deliver. It's tactical, Thornton. I've been thinking this one through in the seven years it's been. <laughs> that's quite funny. How was he last night? He wasn't... As disappointing as I initially assumed. Exactly. You see, talk down the uh, talk down the size and girth and how good you are, and then they can only be surprised. <laughs> so you know, invariably, the noises that come from the bedroom are just surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that or- your housemates can hear. Just, oh, oh, really? <laughs> that or pornography that I've turned up really loud, and actually, we're just trying to sleep. <laughs> Oh, to set the mood, you are a charmer. Oh, look, I, I don't want to give away all my techniques. <laughs> oh, fair enough. No, yeah. But I have. <laughs> oh, right. Can I hold on to some, man? This is a free podcast, I'm assuming. So, you know, you've got to hold on to some, make some cash out of that. <laughs> I can be like, uh, what's his name? Tony Robinson or whatever. You know, those guys that are just like, here's how to make crap loads of money. Never works for anyone. It's like, here's how to get average looking women and mildly impress them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Paulie Solomon, not setting the bar too high. <laughs> That's exactly right. I um actually when I was when I was working in Geraldton, uh, and that was obviously when we met. We mentioned that earlier on, and uh, Jason, who was my boss there, every time I would travel, you know, I'd go on holiday, and he'd always be like, "Mate, care- careful of unmarked vans at the airport. You know, never know it could be a bomb." And I was like, "Okay, that's a weird thing to say." And I said to him one time, I said, mate, if I die in some horrific accident, heaven forbid it happens, but if I do, I want your quote to the media to be, he wasn't the hardest worker, but man, we loved having him around. Jason was like, mate, I don't know if I can say that in you know, good faith. I, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch. And eventually we sort of worked it out one day and he said, okay, here's what I'll say to the media. He wasn't the hardest worker, but man, we tolerated him. And I'm like, yeah, that'll do. I feel like that's how it is with women, you know? <laughs> we tolerated him for a while. <laughs> tolerated. There you go. That's there was, the no, one, there was no one else around, tolerated. so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to work. It's a good way to work. Any port in a storm, as they say. <laughs> That's exactly right. I am. I, um, yeah. Funny enough to wedge it in just while I promote the actual show that I'm writing about next year, the comedy festival show, kind of works on these themes when it, I had to talk to a group class of 12-year-olds to try and inspire them about their lives. But it was just, it's all about this kind of stuff where it's like, we're constantly told we should be impressive. But you're like, only so many people can be impressive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, Exactly. So they told you, you could be the Prime Minister. No one person can be the Prime Minister. There's 22 million or 21 million 999,000 people out there that are now disappointed. But I guess it's that funny thing of, you know, I mean, you look at someone like, you know, there was that talk of uh, that Rove would replace Conan O'Brien briefly. Mm. You know, it was only mm. around for a little while. And you think, you know, there's X number of people that are, you know, vying for these jobs at any given time, but someone's got to get it. Why not me? I feel the same when I get sent attractive pictures of ladies on the internet. You're like, it's never them, it's some dude. And I'm like, it's got to be someone. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the word. Yeah, behind each person, there's got to be someone who's putting up with their shit. But not not even that. Just, you know, they're like, oh, it's just some dude who's, like, sitting in his room jerking it because you're sending, like, dirty messages because you think it's a hot girl. And I'm like, well, who's to say it's not her? She exists. There's a photo of her. Why wouldn't she talk to me? But see earlier conversation about me being moderate. <laughs> Man, this is a whole different kettle of fish. This is going down an alleyway. I'm not sure where it's gone. Where it's gone. <laughs> Uh, you're not sure where it's gone, and you're not sure that you want to go there. <laughs> yeah, it's there. 
So, uh, what the, I've gone back about 20 minutes now. Uh, what can we look forward to on uh, Slap Bang Radio in the future? Uh, we've got a Christmas special next week, obviously. It's the time to be festive. Yep. Um, and then next year, we're hopefully doing a couple of vidcasts and things as well, just to start to do a little bit of, uh, you know, sticking up on YouTube and you get to see Tommy and Little and what we really look like and how we disappoint. You know, when you listen to people and then you actually see them and go, oh, that's slightly disappointing. Um, I know that so, too well. I used to work in radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I've done heaps of radio interviews and you go in and you go, really? Oh, all right. Kind of like uh, Wayne's World 2 and Gorgeous Day. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're going to be doing uh, a bit of that. Uh, hopefully we can find, there's a little thread in our podcast. Someone, a listener put in that uh, Tommy and I combined look like the bass player from Coldplay. And it is a little bit frightening. And so we're trying to hunt down an interview with him. So we're still persisting with that. Hey, that's exciting. And uh, your comedy festival show next year, do you have a name for it yet? Yeah, it's called The Sum of All the Parts, and that's uh, S-O-N-E, The Sum, which is, uh, <laughs> I think you'll uh, agree, slightly not that clever, but um, <laughs> regardless, that is its name. No, I called this show Just Potting Along in a similar kind of, it's not really that clever, but no one else had thought of it, so screw it, I'll, yeah. I'll run with it. As much as for the Simpsons references, as much as we put it in uh, through this podcast, I'll put another one in. It's much like the B Sharps uh, <laughs> exactly. episode, where we need a name that is amusing initially and then wears off after <laughs> each time you hear it. So that's exactly what that is. That's exactly right. Hey, uh, Dave Thornton, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, you are becoming famous, and I appreciate that you would take the time to talk to me on this here Bram Shackle podcast that I put together. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, my friend, and hopefully we can uh, we can do it again sometime soon. Oh, mate, it was it was a pleasure to be in here. It's good to see that you got out of Geraldton too. <laughs> Happy you escaped, mate. You, you, you and the doctor all the way down there to Perth, and you're off to freedom. You and me both, my friend. You and me both. Uh, it is a pleasure, Dave, and uh, thank you again. And uh, that wraps up another episode of Just Potting Along. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. See you later.